0: I remember that as a teenager, there was not much more exciting to me than going to see one of my favorite bands live in concert. The more up close you could be, up front and personal you could be in the front row, jumping up and down like wild hooligans as we did at the time. It was so great, so exciting. The big speakers, the big lights, and it sure beat listening to music in my 1993 dodge dakota with pretty poor speakers i was driving around listening to music in the truck was good but not as good as the real thing not as good as being able to look up and see the guy singing with the sweat coming down his face it's just not the same to hear it on speakers versus to see it in real life. Jesus says in verse 23 of Luke 10, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. The Old Testament kings and prophets, they knew what was coming. It was like they had seen the Messiah or heard the Messiah in the prophecies that they had been given. But it was more like listening to a record or a CD player and the 1993 Dodge Dakota cassette player. The kids now don't even know what that is. It was like they knew what it was, but it wasn't there yet. As we talked about last week, the ministry of righteousness that Christ brings in the New Testament, it exceeds the glory and how glorious it was. The glory of the ministry of the letter, the glory of the ministry of the old covenant. The disciples are blessed. You are blessed to see what you see and to hear what you hear. You see, the ministry of the new covenant and what the disciples experience with Jesus live and in person, with Jesus standing there face to face, it does not stop with them. Jesus leaves that ministry going even as he ascends to the right hand of God. He sends his spirit to be with the church. He leaves you his word. He leaves you his sacraments. Think about what Peter says whenever he talks about his experience with Jesus in second Peter. And he says we were there with him on the mountain when Jesus was transfigured before us. That was great. But now we have something more sure. We have the prophetic word written down for our instruction. And so you are blessed, dear Saints. Even today, you are blessed. This blessing that Jesus gives to the disciples, it applies to you, too. Blessed are your eyes that see what they see. Blessed are your eyes which are able to read in your Bibles the words of God. And blessed are your ears what they hear, able to hear the preaching of that word. Blessed are your eyes that can see the water and the font and the bread and wine on the table. For God has given these things to you so that you would see and that you would hear his righteousness and his glory. It does kind of confuse our minds to think about it this way. But what we see and hear today is even greater. It exceeds that in glory of what Moses saw, of what Elijah saw, of what the kings and the prophets saw. They would long. Actually, to be where we are. To be where we are today, right now, is actually better than to be where Isaiah and Moses and Elijah were. And so to see Jesus and to hear Jesus, this wants to be our first point today, that is life for you. That is true life. That is salvation. That is blessing. And to see Jesus and to hear Jesus and to have that life, it sounds so great. And it is truly so great. But unfortunately, as I said, it does kind of sound confusing sometimes to say that the Bible or that the sacraments are better and exceed in glory. Some of the things that Moses and Elijah saw. And so it is easy to start to justify and to start to make excuses and to start to think that we could do better ourselves, maybe without those things so much. There are those out there, unfortunately, that think to see and to hear Jesus, while we say now, it is life for you. There are those who unfortunately would say, that's a little too passive For me, I'd rather see what I can do myself. Are you telling me all I have to do is to go to church and to see Jesus and to hear Jesus and receive him? What else can I do? And this is why the Pharisee or the lawyer that overhears Jesus saying this to the disciples, he wants to put Jesus to the test. What should I do? He says, To inherit eternal life. What can I do. To participate in this. To see Jesus. And to hear Jesus. That's a little too passive for me. And so you know. People like this. You've probably met people like this. Who say they're Christian. Who say they love the Lord. But honestly they would rather. Do their own thing. Than come and see and hear Jesus. On Sunday morning. And they have lots of excuses and critiques and justifications. That's what the lawyer does. He likes to seek to justify himself, desires to justify himself, Jesus says. And so you've heard the critiques today, the church. And it's it's funny, depending on who you talk to, you can hear complete opposite things, but they sound kind of like legitimate critiques either way. The church is too rigid. The church is too loose. The church is full of hypocrites and fake Christians who don't really love each other. I could do a better Bible study on my own at home than do the one that's at the church. I don't like the traditional music. I don't like the contemporary music. The pastor preaches too short. The pastor preaches too long. The pastor preaches not enough fire and brimstone. The pastor doesn't preach enough love and comfort. There's not enough in-reach. There's not enough outreach. The list could go on. It's easy to justify. It's easy to critique. It's easy to make excuses. But that's what Pharisaism does at the end of the day. It just says, whatever they're doing, it's not enough because I want to be in control. I want to decide how I get to earn salvation. And so when Jesus blessed, this Pharisee pipes up, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And you know, it's always going to be a good back and forth when Jesus answers a question with a question. He says, what do you think? How do you read the law? You want a law answer? How do you read the law? And here's the great twist. He actually correctly summarizes the entire law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you're correct. Do this and you will live. And that's true. If someone, theoretically, does everything in the law, if someone perfectly loves God with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength, their entire life is born sinless and loves their neighbor as their self, their entire life, without fail, every time, every single time, God will judge them righteous. But of course, that's the problem. You all know, as I say that, it is completely impossible. The more you try to love perfectly, the more you realize how far away you are from it. And the story that Jesus tells next, the story you know well about the Good Samaritan, it shows us perfectly That the person who makes a practice of self-justification, the person who desires to justify himself is also the person who is actually most likely to start to make excuses about the love that they show. It is the Pharisees, the Levites, and the priests in this story, the ones who the lawyer is friends with in real life, who start to make excuses the moment they walk by the neighbor laying on the ground. And so that brings us back to our first point. What is life? Where is blessing found? It is not in our own good works. The scripture, as Galatians says, imprison everything under sin. Why the law? The law was added to show transgression. But the promise first given to Abraham was a gospel promise. To the offspring, the one and only, not offsprings, not multiple people who are sinless, but to offspring, the one who is sinless, the one and only Jesus Christ. To see and to hear Jesus is life. Only Jesus, no other one but Jesus, nothing in our heart, only in his. To see and hear him is life. And he is the one who had mercy on you. That's the great thing about this story of the Good Samaritan. It not only shows the Pharisaism on the one hand, but it also shows the mercy of the sinless one on the other. The Good Samaritan we are called to be like. That is true. We'll get to that in a moment. But first and foremost, know this. The Good Samaritan is Jesus. The good Samaritan is Jesus who comes and he saw you lying dead in your trespasses on the side of the road and he picked you up. He bound up your wounds of sin. He put oil on you. He baptized you. He saved you. He fed you with his body and his blood and he put you up in his house so that you're here to see and to hear him. And he paid for everything that you need. Not with gold or silver, not with denarii, but with his holy, precious blood. And whatever more you need, whatever sins you commit, he will cover those too. That's the good Samaritan Jesus. And then he does go on. And he says, now... Now that you have seen Jesus and now that you know that the person who makes excuses, the person who self justifies, the person who critiques and that has been all of us is not without sin. They cannot do this and live. Now he says that you understand that and now that you've seen the example of Jesus, Now, go and do likewise. So yes, we can't love our neighbor perfectly. We cannot be Jesus. But we can imitate him. Jesus calls us to imitate him. To see and to hear Jesus is life, but hearing him, we do respond to what he says. What's that look like? Well, go back to the question that the lawyer asked to try and justify himself, not to try and justify ourselves, but to ask how to imitate Jesus. It is a legitimate question. Who is my neighbor? Who should I now go and love? Who is my neighbor? I wanna just point out one thing here to answer this question. And of course we have other neighbors too. But there is this interesting phrase in the story that Jesus tells. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, Jerusalem in the Bible is, of course, the heavenly city. It's the place of the temple. It's the place of Mount Zion. It's the place where Jesus is there to be crucified and risen again. Jericho, biblically, is a pagan city. It's a city, if you remember, that had to be knocked down at one point. And the man who goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho, we can say allegorically, at least, that perhaps this man was one who was in the faith, he was in the heavenly city, and he decided to reject it. He decided to go down to the world. He decided to go from the church to the world. Now, again, this is just an allegory. We don't have to hold this as absolute, but you can imagine people like this who are your neighbors. People who have been baptized in the heavenly city. People who have been in the church. People who have heard the gospel. People who should be sitting next to you in the pews, but they're not. They have left. They have gone astray. They have decided to go down to the world of Jericho rather than to stay in the heavenly Jerusalem. And so, if we go back to our first Analogy: You can think of them as people who got tickets to the concert to go see the concert live. But instead of doing that, they kind of ripped up the tickets and drove their Dodge Dakota to the bad part of town just to see what would happen. Kind of a weird analogy. But that's what's going on here. And it is tempting when we see those people, those lost sheep, those delinquents, those who we miss it's tempting to be angry at them and it's tempting to say let's go ahead and wipe the dust off our feet now and when we see them lying there on the side of the road to make excuses someone else is going to have to do it i can't and to walk on past but the good samaritan jesus walked past that lost sheep who was walking down from jerusalem to jericho and he saw him as a lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he picked him up and he healed him. So who are your neighbors? They are at least these people, those who are lost. So who should be sitting in the pews next to you, but is not Call them next time you talk to them, have a conversation to them about the gospel. It doesn't have to be intense. You don't have to shove it down their throats or anything like that. But tell them the love that Jesus has for them. Remind them of when they were washed and love them like Jesus loves them. There are those for whom our shepherd bled, who are not here and who should be. And notice how Jesus loves. And this is the final thing. This is stewardship month. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. You can never love as full as Jesus loves, how he paid it all on the cross. But you can love freely. When you steward your time and your money and your talents and your whole life for the cause of loving God and loving neighbor. That's what stewardship is really all about. Managing all of the things in your life for the love of God and for the love of neighbor. You do not have to hold back or be stingy. God loves a cheerful giver. Whatever more you spend, I will come back and pay more. And so you can love like that. Love over time. Whenever you see your loved ones who need your love and who need the love of Christ, keep on loving them. Over and over and over again. Because that's what Jesus did for you when he saw you in the same position. And there really is no reason not to be a cheerful giver. Because you have seen and heard Jesus. And to see and hear Jesus, it is life. To him be all the honor and glory now and forever. Amen.